This is the Sluggo. Slant and go. So all that to say, I enjoyed the game at Arlington. I hated the drive. I'm very, very old. And by the time we got back Saturday, I was tired. Um, but anyway, I missed my great story about Arlington because I screwed up the entry for the 422nd consecutive time. It was a great story. And so now we're going to make it a mystery to everybody. But uh, glad to be here. Week number 54, a sluggo. Weather's great here. Got some boxes. I did it wrong again in the back. You're doing all right. You just had a great trip with Parker. We got a good show ready to, ready to go for everybody this week. Yeah, coming up uh, shortly will be Dylan Callahan Crowley, who uh, has a podcast called CMB365. Um, I've been talking with him offline. He knows he's a he's a member of the Football Writers Association of America, so he's way out of our league, um, but um, good guy, um, great podcast. They have, they're a little more serious than we are, but that's okay. We need some seriousness in our lives. I mean, you've got a lot sitting in boxes behind you, but we need a little bit more seriousness on the show. And speaking of which Clemson picked up two four-star commits since we last talked, we had an idea they were going to commit to Clemson and they certainly did. Um, Sherrod Koval and Toriano pride, both in the defensive backfield committed to the Tigers and that was the good news. Now, since then, um, we've had, uh, as Clemson fans, a pile of not-so-good news. Uh, it appears that Travis Shaw is uh, moving in other directions, trending towards Georgia and perhaps North Carolina. And it looks like I even saw some talk online of Clemson moving on from Travis Shaw. Uh, but um, also, there was news that DJ Wesselak, who appeared to have a great time at Clemson when he visited, and some thought he was on the verge of committing. Now it looks like he may delay his commitment, which is not good news for Clemson. So the Tigers are struggling a little bit, even after getting the two four stars. Uh, I named this show the uh, panic button because I, I haven't pressed that panic button yet, but my hand is like, over the panic button, <laughs> and just wanted to get your take on that before we get Dylan in to talk. Uh, yeah, I'm a little surprised. Else. I was after hearing the reports back from both of those gentlemen, Travis Shaw and and Westlack. I was a little surprised to uh, to hear that that both were actually trending <clears throat> the wrong way, if you will, for Clemson people. You know, I I, I heard through the grapevine and through an article by, written by I believe J.P. Priester that about Shaw. Was that they're pushing? They're pushing the pain, right? Georgia is pushing the pain um, for for Shaw, saying that the defensive line at Clemson is very young and it's going to be bottled up for him to in, if he in order if he wants early playing time. Uh, I don't know what Wesselak is. Maybe he's just a creature. Maybe he's just a kid, right? Maybe he's just eighteen and he loves all the the love that he's getting because these four and five star kids 
you know they get extreme love at some of these visits. So, yeah, you know, it's a long it's a long trip. It's a long thing. Clemson doesn't like people to commit to decommit. So that could be the message, too, from Wesselak. You know, maybe that can be seen as a positive in that, you know, if you're going to commit to Clemson, you better be committed. It's a marriage. It's not. It's not you're not just dating um, in sixth grade or something like that. So it's a long trip. I'm not panicked by any stretch of the imagination. There's more names in the bucket, more names that probably you and I and even maybe maybe JP doesn't even know. But I think Clemson will be just fine in the end. So losing a five star after losing Jalen Walker to Georgia and perhaps losing Travis Shaw to Georgia doesn't concern you? Oh, yeah. There's no doubt that it's concerning. But I think Clemson will, p- will pick up the pieces, lick its wounds, and keep moving. Um, uh, this this coaching staff has earned a lot of um, respect for me in that in that fashion. They you know they miss on some guys, and here comes another guy that we hey we got a running back named Etn because Cordarian Richardson got let go of of his commitment. So uh, you know they they've built up some good equity, quality equity with me personally. And I think a lot of the fan base that you can't necessarily, obviously the numbers are down, right? And you want to panic and all signs are pointing to panic, but I tend to be more on the positive side of things and thinking that they're smarter than me when it comes to recruiting. Um, they're smarter than me probably when it comes to just about anything, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think they're going to be okay. Uh, you hate to lose a five-star, right? It, it, I think 10 years ago, 12 years ago. Yeah. We, I'd probably have to change my drawers, but, um, <laughs> but in this case, you, you know, you still don't like to lose them. Um, but it's not final yet, so you never know. You never know. Got to get them back on campus, maybe. It, it seems like it's final when JP's saying um, that it's not good. But we'll see. We'll see. Well, here's the deal. If you're not panicking and I'm hovering over the panic button, something's wrong in Denmark or whatever. <laughs> and uh, whether recruiting is the cause or not, please change your doors occasionally. All right, other <laughs> moving on to other national uh, recruits of note this week. Commits Jaden Gold, number one fifty three overall, a four star cornerback from Bergen Catholic, uh, goes to Southern Cal. Which you know, how I mean, the only further place he could go to is Hawaii, I guess, or uh, somewhere. But that's what a trip. Uh, Shamar Jones, a four star linebacker, number one forty six overall from Mobile, Alabama, is going to Florida, and. A name that we're kind of familiar with, at least part of the name, Travell Mullen, the three-star cornerback, number 181 overall from Pompano Beach, is going to Indiana. This is the second Mullen brother in two years. They all play in the defensive backfield to end up at Indiana. You, Nelson, and I kind of had a little uh, chat about this on the old uh, phones uh, earlier in the week. Didn't look like he had a Clemson offer to me. They're on the smaller side. But still, he's a top 200 guy, and they both decided to go to Indiana over the last two years. I'm trying to figure out that allure from Florida to Indiana, which seems, you know, kind of shaky there. And I'm going to try and pronounce this name. Pal could probably help us with this. Nuafi Tulam. Yeah, Tulahalamaka. Tulahalamaka. We're going to call him NT. (laughs) NT, number 108 overall from Mission Hills, California to Notre Dame. Uh, and this is a little bit easier one. Dallin Hayden, a four-star running back, number 237. He's out of Memphis, Tennessee. He's going to Ohio State. Ohio State needed another four-star. They haven't don't have enough. <laughs> uh, Gavin, and speaking of not having enough, Gavin Salchuk, a four-star running back, number 43 overall, the number two running back 
headed to Oklahoma. And finally, Jade Marshall, a four-star wide receiver, number 224 out of Stockton, California, to UCLA. And the only decommit of any note that I saw was Isaiah Centegna, or Centegna, I'm not sure how you say that, a four-star wide receiver, number 226 from Fayetteville, Arkansas, decommitted from Texas A&M. And the reason I bring this one up is because I saw uh, this is somebody that Kate Klubnick is uh, keeping in touch with on Twitter, shall we say. That'll be that'll be a good one. I, I think Jaden Marshall early on was was also talked about in in Clemson spaces. So obviously, there's a lot of allure for some wide receivers. He's off the board, like you said. The rich get richer with Dallin Hayden, the four star running back to Ohio State. Gavin Sawchuk, they got another strong, uh, like in in the mold of P Ryan that Oklahoma used to have. Gavin Sawchuk, his film looks looks good. I do like the. Uh, Nuafe Tui Halamak uh, <laughs> to Notre Dame. That's a big get. He he decommitted or was really flirting hard with Oregon. And so for Notre Dame to come in and scoop him up, a top 150 player, that's a really big get for, for Palk and, uh, and his Notre Dame fighting Irish. Thanks, Uncle John. <laughs> yeah, he's wishing you well. And now I'm in touch with our guest here. I'm hoping he'll be joining us. Any minute now, uh, Notre Dame is doing a really good job now. Powell, this is your Irish minute. Um, they're number two in the latest ratings that I saw. I just checked that this afternoon. So that is up to date. They're right behind – well, not right behind, behind uh, Ohio State. Nobody's right behind Ohio State. Um, but really good job by the Irish. So maybe that – what was that effect that Powell was talking about? The Freeman – Freeman factor. Freeman factor. How quickly I forget, right? Well, um, you know, you're supposed to know who the defensive coordinator at Cincinnati was for the last three years, right? No doubt. No doubt. All right, Casey, our guest is up, and uh, I'm not sure uh, if we can handle this. This is a professional here. We're about to talk to you know, <laughs> two, two chuckleheads like us, talk to someone who is a uh, writer, uh, football writer association of America. We'll welcome him, Dylan. Dylan uh, Callahan Crowley, so great to see you, Dylan. I appreciate you spending a few minutes with us tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me on, definitely. He got the memo where it's T-shirt, very casual, T-shirt, hat, so <laughs> yep. we're good. We, we, uh, we, uh, we like to mess around. Some of our guests dress up a little bit better than we do, which is, you know, to say they put a shirt with a collar on. <laughs> we're, we're not that kind. I got my Blood Mountain shirt on. I can't even find out where it's at. But anyway, we appreciate you. I got the athletic shorts on under this. So yeah, yeah, cool. that's the, that's the world we're living in, right? You got to yep. like look a little bit okay up top, but down below, no one no, exactly. Now, Dylan, I was telling Casey, I was reading off your your bio to Casey here, but um, we ran out of time pre-show, and uh, um, all the things you, all the sites you contribute to or did, you uh, you're a scout at Prep Red Zone, uh, PA. Your contributor, Rutgers Rivals, which, you know, surprisingly for two Clemson guys, we talk about Rutgers a lot because Casey's in West Orange, New Jersey. Um, right. He's a little disappointed that he didn't wear his Rutgers shirt for you. but I was uh, very disappointed. <laughs> you're also on the Saturday Blitz and, of course, your main gig, the College Football 365 podcast, which I listen to and everybody here should. And as I said, you're an FWAA member and you also if i remember correctly had a georgia tech website at one point 
Yeah, I, I wrote for uh, Yellow Jack Dub for a while, uh, and uh, personal life just got a little busy uh, to run the side myself, so took a step back, but uh, in the upcoming days, I'm going to start uh, contributing more to a Saturday Blitz, and I'll probably just uh, cover a lot of Georgia Tech there. All right, that sounds good. More Georgia Tech, because we did, as Clemson guys, we did want to talk to you about Georgia Tech, and that's where we're starting off. Uh Jeff Collins, three and nine first season, three and seven last season. From the outside looking in, I'm speaking for myself. I wonder what's the expectations this year? Is he in under any pressure? Three wins, three runs. Realize he's changing the whole system, uh, and it's not just one system to another. It's like 1930s to <laughs> 2020s almost. Um, the recruiting. Went from 50th in 2018 to 27th in 2020 uh, to 47th, which is 11th in the ACC in 2021. Now they're sitting at 45th for 2022. Any pressure on Jeff Collins this year, and what's the outlook for the season? Yeah, I think pressure-wise, there's, I think there's more pressure from inside the fan base than there is coming from the outside the fan base. I think nationally, people will probably expect this team. Uh, to maybe push that four or five win mark if everything goes right. There, there's no doubt that there's good talent there. I mean, um, Jeff Sims and Jameer Gibbs, uh, maybe not this year, but in 2022, I think that could be one of the best quarterback running back duos, just not the ACC, but the entire country if both play up to their potential. But that's also a big if. Uh, but heading into this season, I think inside the fan base, the expectation is – from the reasonable fans probably along the four to five win mark, but there's definitely a lot of fans that think they should be vying for a bowl bid this season, which looking at their schedule, I think is going to be tough, but if everything goes well and Jeff Sims takes a big second year leap, I think it's possible, but it's going to come down to that defense, the defense. We thought that's what would be improving most under Jeff Collins because I, his track record uh is uh phenomenal there but these first two seasons the defense has definitely been um lacking in Atlanta say the least now recruiting wise too they're obviously getting what well, they're actually making some splashes with some names especially in and around that that Georgia Atlanta area um is what what's his focus i mean it, it seems like you know with some of these schools we follow Clemson more closely than some i follow Rutgers recruiting just because sure. i'm here in new jersey but, you know, I know he's trying to rebuild the cupboard, uh, but he does have the talent with Sims and Gibbs. And, I mean, are they focusing more on the defensive side of the ball, trying to shore that up? Um, and are they getting receivers because of, because they've had such negative in the past? Yes. So I, the big point that they've been pushing uh, on the uh, recruiting trail so far in his tenure has been really both lines of scrimmage, but especially that offensive line. Uh as we all know, the offensive line under a triple option offense aren't exactly uh, fundamentally sound when you're talking about any other football scheme. Uh, and they, the offensive line struggled the first year in the Collins. It made some progress last year, and I'm expecting it to take another sizable jump this year. But they've been really focusing on getting power five size at that offense on the offensive line throughout, and. Also, I think versatility. They like guys who can move around if needed, uh, plug in place where you need. And uh, that's really 
uh, everywhere, I would say. They really have been recruiting really good athletes. Not all the players, obviously, recruiting ratings and rankings are going to seem great. I mean, they have two guys right now who are, um, I think, uh, unranked by 24-7 sports. Um, I'm not sure they rank on rivals. But uh, rankings-wise, it may not seem like they're bringing in uh, a ton of great athletes, but I've been impressed by the athletes they have brought in. uh, And they, they really are focusing on just, I think, getting that size they need. Uh, to really make it a formidable Power 5 program, but also speed. Because, I mean, in today's game, speed is the name of the game. You look at Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, Iowa State, uh, everybody in their three deep, four deep can beat pretty much any other team in speed. So, All right. Our guest is Dylan Callahan Crowley from the CFB 365 podcast. Casey, I don't know if you know this, they have an outstanding logo for that podcast. One of the best <laughs> I've ever seen, as a matter of fact. Um, let's look at the schedule a little bit for Georgia Tech, Dylan. Um, sure. Just start off with two non-conference wins. And then their ACC starts with Clemson and North Carolina and non-conference games with Georgia and Notre Dame. Now, what did you say the realistic fans expected out of this? <laughs> I, I, I think realistic fans are looking at four to five wins. Um, I mean, the good news is they, I think they should start two and zero in the season. So you get that nice out in front two and zero, and then you got, you have to win. If we're looking at four wins, you got to win two of your last 10, which I think, I think it's doable. I, and we're going to talk obviously about Rutgers in a little bit, but like Rutgers, I think Georgia tech is probably going to beat somebody this year that, on paper, they shouldn't beat. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't think it's going to be Clemson or North Carolina, but I'm Pitt's going to be favored over them. Virginia will probably be favored over them. Virginia Tech. I mean, I think if they could grab one of those games, that's huge. And then Boston College and, I mean, Duke. Miami seems – Duke and Miami seems like one of those teams any given year can be either a – top of the line program or you wonder what the hell is going on down there <laughs> or sometimes both in the same week actually <laughs> exactly yeah, they, they, they could look like a top five team one week and next week you wonder i'm Just gonna go off the rails everything. a little bit for you dylan sure. here uh, when i went to uh, the clemson georgia tech game in college's first year and as I'm sure you know where I'm going with this, he brought out yep. the weight equipment on the field. Yeah, uh, It kind of ruffled some feathers with the athletic department. I thought it was hilarious because my seats at, at Clemson were, were fantastic. So I'm watching going, what the hell are they doing? This is great. <laughs> is stuff like that helping with the fan base kind of keep everybody together? And, and how does that resonate with the players as well? I, I think it definitely resonates more with the players. And when it comes to the fans, I think it depends what fan part of the fan base. If you look at the older part of the fan base, I think it's more of like, um, okay, then uh, if <laughs> if this is what it's going to take to get back to where we need to, sure. Uh, and then the younger fans, I think, are very much uh, forward. They love the energy brings. But, I mean, the players just really seem to love everything about Jeff Collins, uh, the energy he brings to the program. Um they're always doing fun stuff uh, during the off season in terms of team bonding or uh, workouts and stuff. Uh, so I think it really resonates with the players and 
that if it does feel like the whole energy around the program has really changed over the last few years. And I think we're going to start seeing the payoff from that. Cause I, I think it's also helped in recruiting. Definitely. I mean, they just picked up another four star today. Um, so I think, I think it's really working with the players and recruits. And then when the fan base, it, it's, it, it depends who you are. I, I personally, uh, like it. I think it, I think we need more of those type of coaches in college football who are willing to push the envelope or do whatever they think they need to do to build a good program. Uh, so that, that's how I would say it's generally viewed. Yeah. And if you think about it here, we are two years later, we're still talking about it. Oh, right? I thought it was yeah. hilarious. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm older dude and I was kind of one of those guys sitting up there saying, what in the heck is this dude doing? And that's Bush league. But now looking back, big deal. As long as they don't tear the, tear the field up and somebody yeah. get injured. Exactly. That's, that's kind of where I'm at. So, all right. And you you had some great points, Dylan, about the schedule. You know, when I, I, I was just looking at the, quote, sure losses, and, and who knows, really. But I was looking at the sure losses and looking at the tough angle and not thinking about the Syracuses of the world, the Boston colleges. And the, there's opportunities there uh, for Tech to uh, to get some wins this year. I'm intrigued to see what happens to them this year. Um, you know, there was years and years and years, as you know, following Georgia Tech and writing about them, that the Clemson-Georgia Tech game was, you know, you never knew who was going to win that any given year, you know, um, it hasn't been that way, obviously the last few years. And uh, frankly, we need, we need some better teams in the ACC. Um, Not to go off on that topic again, but my favorite game in Clemson history before the latest run was the 2001 Georgia tech Clemson game with Woody Dantzler in overtime. It was just back and forth the whole game. And uh, yes, Clemson won it, but it wouldn't have mattered that day. It was just a fantastic game. So yeah, we used to go down there, all the time for the Thursday night games at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. It was just a, always an electric atmosphere between those two clubs. So it'd be nice to get that back. And I love Jeff Sims. I think I'm so happy to get him on the field last year, watch him as a freshman, let him make his mistakes, because I think, like you said, he's going to pay dividends in a year or two. Yeah, he really, I mean, from where he started last year, because it, it got ugly uh, after that first game. He was, I mean, I, I think in Syracuse, um, that that was a game where he really looked like a freshman, and, and early on, he, you could tell that the speed of the game was really getting to him. But uh, his the steps he took just in the middle of that season, and which I mean, I I, I take more uh, I take more out of that because of the COVID season. I mean, that wasn't a normal season, so the fact that he was able to make those steps in a season that he couldn't practice like he would be able to during a regular year. Right. They had limited practice and just lim- all he really had to go off probably was film and a little bit of practice as much as I could. And he took some giant steps during the middle of the season. So I'm excited to see where he is uh, starting out this season. Cause it, it, if he takes the steps they think he could take this year, I think this team could maybe push for that six win mark, but I also think that it may be just be asking a little bit much for, out of him. Well, I'll counter Casey and say one of my least favorite trips to Atlanta was the the uh, Deshaun Watson injury and the uh, Cole Stout throwing two touchdown passes uh, to Georgia Tech defensive <laughs> backs in a hurry. All right, let's move on to talk about you two, two of you guys' favorite team, Rutgers Scarlet Knight. They've been a little resurgent in the recruiting 
under Greg Schiano, they're currently seventh overall. Now, hold on, everybody out there listening, not seventh in the Big Ten, seventh in the nation, uh, according to the 247 rankings, and they're second in the Big Ten behind Ohio State. Unfortunately, it's that's not a close race. Uh, Ohio State is uh, far and away ahead, uh, not just in the Big Ten, but in the national rankings. Uh, and they've signed a top 100 player and four-star quarterback, Gavin Wimsett, or Wimsett, you can correct me on that, Dylan, I'm horrible with the recruits name. And the recruiting has improved from 65 to 61, 41st, and now they're 7th, as I said. Two years ago, they were 2-10. and 10. Last year, under Shiloh, 3-6, and six, and 3-6 and six in the Big Ten. Um, what's your overall take on the Scarlet Knights, their recruiting, their prospects for the season ahead, Dylan? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, on uh... – in terms of pronouncing names, I am now one to correct. As, uh, <laughs> you fit right you, in. You're if you, wheel. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard some of the episodes we've done, but like I, I don't even try with DJ's last name. I just call him <laughs> DJ. It's funny DJ when, you. when he's on the team throwing touchdowns. You you learn that real quickly. Uy, yeah, uh, exactly. Very easy. Very easy. Anyway, uh, go ahead. I'm sure I'll get it when we're uh, <laughs> talking about Heisman's in the uh, middle of the season. Um, but, yeah, Rutgers, I mean, my general feeling about Rutgers is kind of similar to Georgia Tech. I think this is – it's going to be an interesting year. I think coming off a 3-6 and six season, I feel like some Rutgers fans are going to feel like, all right, we were able to do that in 9-1 season. So, I mean, we should be able to get closer to six wins in a 12-1 season. But – I'm I'm not sure if it, it, of course, it's not going to be that easy, but I think there's going to be a lot of steps forward for Rutgers this year. But like Georgia Tech, it's all going to come down to that defense. That the offense took great strides forward last year, but the sorry, the offense took yeah great strides forward, but the defense just uh just got ran over every week. I mean, 206 yards allowed per game. That that number is going to have to change if they're going to get five or six wins if everything goes right. Um, but overall, I think I think this Rutgers program is on a good, very good track for it. I, I don't think they're ever going to necessarily be competing for Big Ten championships or New Year's Six Bowls on the regular. But could they be a team that wins six, seven, eight games on a regular basis, I, I I absolutely think so, especially under Greg Schiano. Um, I mean, every win he picks up at Rutgers, it it just rubs during the wound of Tennessee for uh, passing on him. I mean, I I still I clown Tennessee to this day about passing on uh, Greg Schiano. Um, I, I think he's been doing a wonderful job at Rutgers, and what he's done on the recruiting trail is uh, truly phenomenal. Concerned where they were just two years ago, where they are now. Um, the future is definitely bright in Piscataway. It's just going to – I think we're still maybe a, a season or two away from them really being a team that can give Penn State and Michigan a game every single year. I, I think they're going to give those two teams a game this year for a half or three quarters, but I just don't know if the speed – and overall talent level is there yet to hang on for an entire four quarters against those teams. No, when Shiano was, was at Rutgers the first time, his, his big yeah. um, 
his big thing was to go down, pick kids from Miami, and keep yep. the kids in New Jersey in New Jersey. And I'm looking at the the recruiting right now. He's got the number one player, Jacob Allen, at his at a hun. He's got yep. he's he's dipping down to Pennsylvania. And I want to ask you. Is this the Fran Brown effect? I know our Notre Dame friends talk about the Freeman factor. Sure. Is this the Fran Brown effect coming from Temple being bringing in? See, in my in my world of Rutgers friends, he's the reason Shiano is. Shiano's the closer. Fran Brown yeah. is the, is the opener. Sure. Uh, but I'm seeing Phil, Philadelphia, a lot of South Jersey with Delran. He's even dipping into Illinois a little bit, and then New Jersey, New Jersey. He went into Ohio Ohio State territory, got a three star. I mean, it, it just seems like the 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 menu, the blueprint of, of how sure. he wants to recruit and when he was so successful in the Big East Conference. Is, is this a is this a blueprint that can that can succeed in the Big Ten? And to on top of that, is the hunger to get a true rival like a Penn State or yeah. a Maryland or something? Yeah, I, I first on the Fran Brown, I, I absolutely think that that's been a huge part of their success in recruiting uh, Pennsylvania, especially Southeastern Pennsylvania. I mean, uh, you look at those Pennsylvania commitments, um, Winmore is right down the road from Philly. Then you, so Sam Brown have Winmore, Anthony Johnson out of Philly, um, just in 2022 class. Um, so yeah, definitely the Fran Brown effect. I mean, uh, when Penn state had a coach in opening this uh, off season, uh, my one, uh, my my Penn State side. We were talking about uh, guys who could potentially fulfill that role, and the one name we really were talking about that would be a home run hire for Penn State was Fran Brown because of those connections he has in Philadelphia, and that's been a place that Penn State has struggled so much recruiting recently. I mean, you look at um, just with St. Joe's Prep uh, this past year. Um, yeah, the top two players in the state of Pennsylvania, both there and both end up at Ohio State. I mean, those are players that Penn State can't miss. But going back to Rutgers with Fran Brown, absolutely. I think that's a big reason for their success in New Jersey and uh, southeastern Pennsylvania. But overall with the recruiting, yeah, like you said, he's – Shiano's bl- blueprint is working to uh, perfection so far. He's dominating the state of New Jersey, which we all know is – one of the best states for high school football and high school football prospects in the country. The South gets a lot of love and rightfully so, but um, I mean, New Jersey and Pennsylvania both, I think are two uh, of the most underrated states for high school football may not produce five stars or four star, four stars all the time, but they produce a lot of good depth talent. And I mean, a lot of players end up going to the NFL draft from Pennsylvania and New Jersey every year. Um, but yeah, the blueprints working for sure for Shiano. Uh, he's dominating New Jersey, which is only going to help fighting against the Penn States, the Michigans, and Ohio States. Because oh, yeah. for the last decade, they've been able to walk in New Jersey and pluck who they want. Um, Rashawn Gary, Jabril Peppers. Yep. I mean, you can go on for days with Michigan. Exactly. Patterson, that Patterson Catholic uh, pipeline. But I and I think he's focusing on that this Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and maybe even Ohio, Delaware, the whole DMV, but also he's willing to go down South and pick or in the Midwest and pick and choose who he wants. And I'm sure as they build pipelines at certain places, they'll 
go down there more often. I've we've seen that at Penn State, but um, yeah, I think I think that's been his goal so far, and it's it's worked out really well. Obviously, they're not going to stay at in this top ten for the entire recruiting cycle, just because of other schools are eventually going to just run run away with it. But they're going to end up with I think at least a top thirty maybe a top 25 recurring class when it's all said and done. And for a year two, that's a huge win again for Shiana. No doubt about that. Our guest is Dylan Callahan Crowley from the 365, uh, or excuse me, college football 365 podcast. Dylan, um, you're able, you know, we wanted to expand this this year and not just talk about Clemson. We had some Ohio sure. State guys on last year and other. So you feel a really big need for us. We can wrap three teams up with one guest. How about that? <laughs> three teams in a week. I'm sure you can talk about more than that, but three that you write about and are intimately yeah. uh, familiar with. And next we wanted to talk about Penn State. Lost their first five last year in the weird COVID year. Ended up winning their last four. Uh, this year they open up. It, it's a it's an intriguing beginning of the season. They open up in Madison with Wisconsin, then play a Ball State team that I keep hearing is somehow some kind of rival, uh, and then they host Auburn. So when I look at that and I say those are three games, you know, obviously should should win the Ball State game, but they very yeah. easily could be one and two to start the season. And on top of that, is there any question about Sean Clifford being the quarterback? Just reading through some news to preparing for the show, I saw yeah. some some question about that after he had a really good 2018, not so much in 2020. Yeah, starting with Clifford, I mean, unless uh, Taquan Roberson, uh, a New Jersey product, um, really takes a big step forward uh, this uh summer um yeah Clifford's going to be the guy everybody thought that was going to be a spot that Penn State was going to target in the transfer portal this season and and they they did go after a few guys but um yeah uh they didn't grab anybody so it seems that Clifford's going to be the guy which I I think is it's risky if he plays like he did last year this season can go really bad for Penn State real fast but of but if he's able to kind of find what he had in 2019 I think they could get back to where they were in from 2016 to 2019 um yeah like you said the schedule is is a tough one to start out and I mean it's the Big Ten so I mean any given week anybody could really give you a game I mean we've we've seen Rutgers give people games and beat them, uh, especially this past year. We've seen Maryland do it. Uh, you you can't write anybody off a- any week in the Big Ten. Um, and yeah, starting at Wisconsin, that's that's going to set the tone for the entire season. If Penn State wins that game, I think you're looking at a really good season because um, I I think they are a better team than Auburn. I'm not a huge believer in the Harson hire down there just yet, and. Talking about quarterbacks, Sean Clifford has a lot of questions, but so does Bo Nix. <laughs> and I mean, no. all we heard for two years was Bo Nix was supposed to be the savior of Auburn football, and here we are entering his likely last season in college football. And um, I mean, the program may be in a worse place than when he got there, uh, depending who you ask. Um, so, I, like, I think they beat Auburn, but that's also a game that. 
they could very well easily lose. So uh, I think if they lose to Wisconsin, you're looking at eight and four, seven and five, because you lose that. And then if you lose Auburn, I mean, it's going to be hard to bounce back and beat Indiana, Iowa, Ohio State. I mean, Maryland's not going to be a pushover. Michigan is kind of like Miami. They could one league look like a top five team the next week. You you wonder if they should just burn the entire program down or start <laughs> over. Um, and then Rutgers and Michigan State always play Penn State really hard. I mean, that's something I didn't say about – that's something I didn't talk about with Rutgers. But, like, Rutgers, the last few years, even when Penn State was winning 10 games going to near six balls – they always played Penn State real hard, and those Penn State played really sloppy those games. And I think that's not just Penn State being sloppy. I think that's partly Rutgers playing some really good football and having some good tenacity going up against a team that they know if they want to take the program to the next level, they have to start beating the Penn State's Michigans and all those. But um, going back to Penn State. It, those for to the Wisconsin Auburn will set the tone. If they lose both those games, it's going to be a bad season. If they split them, which I think is most likely, um, I think you're looking at eight and four, nine and three. It, it's going to be hard to beat Iowa on the road and then two weeks later turn around and play Ohio State and Columbus. There's and I didn't even talk about Indiana. I I don't think Indiana is necessarily going to be as good as they were last year, but they're they're still going to be a very good team. They they will be forever under Tom Allen most years at least. Um, So yeah, I mean, yeah, I I think with Penn State, the floor we're looking at is seven and five, ceiling ten and two. But I think all likelihood, it's probably a nine three season. Now, what what record puts Franklin's head on the chopping block? I think that I think it would have to be the seven and five. Se- pro- seven and five would get the fan base warm, especially after last season, and then six and anything six and six or less would get would put him, I think, on a pretty warm seat heading next year. But I think right now. Unless everything goes terribly wrong, he's probably in a pretty safe position at Penn State. Because uh, I mean, outside the problem, I think the problem with Penn State right now is James Franklin is a great recruiter, but game day is definitely his biggest weakness. We've seen him and the coaching staff choke away multiple games, uh, whether it's uh, play calling or clock management. Um, but at the same time, he's still one of those top. 15, 10 coaches, depending on you ask in college football. And I, I think he's top 10. But so if you fire him, like, the only, I think the only way you fire him is if you know you can get somebody better. And I think the only person that would be e- even around there that you could probably get if you offer him a ton of money would be Matt Campbell. But, and that's going to be a guy that everybody at a top program wants right. to go after in the next few years. So I think. It's going to take multiple. It's going to take, I think, at least two more bad seasons for it to get for him to get a hot seat. So I think, unless they really go terribly wrong this year, I think he's probably safe. Well, I've even heard talk about him maybe having some interest in the Southern Cal job if yeah that that comes open. So um, yeah, he could. There could be a change for a different reason. And I, I meant to mention yep. this. I did mention this at the beginning that. 
Penn State's currently number five in the recruiting rankings. Uh, yep. Ahead of Rutgers, and uh, well, that doesn't make any sense. How were they second? And how was Rutgers second in the Big Ten if Penn State is five? But anyway, uh, for 2022, I, I'm showing uh, Penn State as number yep. five in recruiting. So, yep. as you said, he's a great recruiter. Dylan, we appreciate so much you coming on and talking about three different teams for us. And, yeah, no problem. Uh, we like to hit you up during the season. Uh, you know, depending on what's going on, we could, you know, could be Georgia Tech certainly before the Clemson game or sure. Penn State or Rutgers and make Casey happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'd love to come back on. Uh, I, I, I had a lot of fun here today talking uh, about all three teams, and yeah, I'd love to come back on during the season. Good deal, everybody. Yeah. Uh, download download Dylan's podcast, CFB365. It's uh, on seldomuserve.com. If you look under the podcast partners link, it's there, or it's on Apple Podcasts, and I'm sure all the other podcast uh, uh, places you get your podcast. Casey, I'm sorry I interrupted. No, I was just going to say thanks so much. I'm glad you were able with all the things that you're involved in and, and writing <laughs> about, so you, you, you had a couple minutes for us, so we really appreciate it, truly. Yeah, no no, no problem at all, and uh, we're actually going to have a new episode of uh, the College Football 365 podcast come out uh probably tomorrow we're going to be recording it tonight so uh yeah we'll look for that to come out uh tomorrow cf cfb 365 he's pulling double duty for us tonight thanks so much dylan we hope to talk to you soon yeah talk to you guys soon too thanks for having me already all right that guy's got some work uh he's doing some work here on college football we just thought we were doing work i felt I felt bad that we limited him to three three teams because he had <laughs> he had so much knowledge on the other teams that he, he was going off a little bit, but then he was like, "Oh wait, I'm only here for these three. So we, yeah. we I could have listened to him talk about all those teams for for quite some time, and I could have probably talked Rutgers with him for a long time too. Well, those are the teams he writes and follows closely. I'm sure you know his the podcast is CFB three sixty five, not CFB three. So, right. Uh, right. <laughs> so I'm sure he's got knowledge, you know, and, and being in the Football Writers of America Association, I'm sure he has to keep up with, you know, all that stuff uh, right. so he can vote appropriately on the 16th team uh, All-Americans <laughs> and things like that. That was Dylan Callahan Crowley from the CFB 365 podcast. Again, it's on com. You can find it there. Uh, under podcast partners or anywhere you get your podcast. Um, it's there. It's on Apple, et cetera. And speaking of seldomusereserve.com, our friend, the friend of the show, Chancey John, um, <laughs> uh, John, John Chancey wrote an article about why he loves the 12-team playoff. I couldn't disagree more. I'm joking. I, I can disagree with it. I'm not a big fan of it because I think it gives the SEC – entryway to five or six or seven teams or how many ever ESPN wants in there. Well, they got to have the five conference champions. One of those would be a <laughs> seven or eight. And Notre whatever Dame. it is. Notre yeah. Dame's got to be in there too. Well, I, you know, that's the one good. That's the one positive. I don't think Notre Dame, well, they'll be in the playoff. I'll pick them one championship. Yeah. But anyway, we're writing articles from time to time. We'll set observe.com. We'll ramp that up. Uh, Casey's going to contribute when he gets a chance. So uh, check it out. And, if you're like Chancey John and you want to write for SouthernMusicReserve.com, reach out, send me an email, whatever, connect with me on Twitter, and we'll figure something out and see if there's a, a good fit. Speaking of good fits, chopping beef tomorrow night, Casey, or yes. are you shoving stuff into the back of a moving truck? <laughs> a little bit of both. 
But as I told you, as you were like, you know, we can take a week off. I say no, because it's my kind of escape from reality. But uh, I will be I, I will be on Chopping Beef tomorrow night. We are going live again. We're trying to figure this out. Work in progress. Year number four of, or season number four of doing it. We are a man down, but we're still going to do it. So uh, it'll be JJ and I tomorrow night waxing poetic about everything that's important in sports and beyond. And there is Nelson. Nelson saying, uh, didn't want to insult you guys, but Franklin's recruiting at Penn State hasn't been stellar lately. I'm looking at the 247 page right now, Nelson. Uh, they're currently fifth nationally. So they were 21st last year, according to this. Nelson stops his stellar uh, at, 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 at six. Four. At four. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, stellar. Well, that's the playoff. Currently. I think the last couple of years he's probably right, but but this year they're definitely um, they're they're obviously mm-hmm. making a wave early. Doing much better. All right, chopping beef tomorrow night. You guys going to be live again? We are. We're going to do it live. We're gonna, you know, like I said, work in progress. But yeah, we'll do it. just like this show because y'all you missed the fantastic intro I had about Texas Rangers <laughs> game and eleven dollar and twenty five cent draft beers. Uh, and uh, restrooms that don't smell like your typical uh, uh, Major League uh, Baseball Stadium restroom because they didn't have any fans there last year and it's brand new. Uh, the other thing I, I did I wouldn't I didn't say this Casey but I did talk a little bit about the, the ballpark in Arlington. It's really strange because Globe Life Field is on one corner and literally on the other corner is the ballpark in Arlington. Dark. It's still there. I mean, it's just sitting there. It's not a parking lot. It's it's still there. And I'm like, that is the weirdest thing in the world. You see this stadium, uh, you know, it's cheap, you know, $500 million stadium sitting there empty next to the billion-dollar stadium. And right behind the billion-dollar stadium is Jerry's World, like $1.5 or $6 billion there. And then across the street from that is Six Flags Over Texas. It's just – but it was really bizarre to see the ballpark at Arlington dark next to and and don't tell anybody but i sent you that picture of the texas the t on the outside the place is like a barn it looks like a barn um, <laughs> a huge barn but anyway it was bizarre to see the ballpark at arlington sitting there in the dark you know shelved after 20 years you know i went down to dallas for work in i believe 2011 2011 maybe 10 years ago and it, and it felt like and we actually toured uh, jerry world the cowboy stadium and stayed right there at, at one of the hotels right around that, that spot. But it felt like that, that ballpark at Arlington was was new at that point. So the fact that I'm picturing it, because I know exactly what you're saying, with Six Flags over on one side, the ballpark over there, the Jerry World, and then there were some hotels that were that were back and nearby, that uh, that, that, that there's now a new stadium there. It's just, it, it's baffling to me trying to, trying to think about it, but... It is. It's and it was weird because it was dark, and we were going to a Texas Rangers game, and it was it was just dark. And what's Houston real, saying? I think he's saying they're they're saving the ballpark Arlington for the U.S. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, but it was weird. Jerry's World was there, and that thing dwarfs both of those things put together. Uh, both of those things put together. But anyway, Casey, now you've done a really good job. Would you do the uh, thank yous? <laughs> Because I obviously can't do the intro and the music. I, I've uh, I've regressed, as they say. But uh, uh, tell everybody we appreciate them while I try and find the right music. Yeah, sure. <laughs> to close, close the thing out. 
Thanks so much again to our guest, Dylan Callahan Crowley from College Football 365 Podcast. He was fantastic tonight. Definitely check out their new episode that would will be airing tomorrow on anywhere you find your podcast. Thanks to everyone in the Facebook group, especially Nelson Wilhite for all his help and support. Everyone on Seldom News Reserve, Sluggo Podcast, and each and every one of you who likes, listens, and shares, and most importantly, participates. On behalf of Marty Seldom News Reserve Coleman, I am Casey the Beef Creek, and thanks so much for joining us tonight on Sluggo. We'll see you next week. I think we're done here.